This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Find the entertainment you love with Contour TV and Contour Stream Player. Learn more at coxcox.com slash contour. This episode is brought to you by Simple Mobile. Tired of being tied down with a wireless contract? Switch to Simple Mobile and stay connected on a powerful nationwide 5G network. Unlimited talk, text, and data starts at $30 a month with no contracts, activation fees, or credit checks. Visit simplemobile.com today. Out with the old, in with the simple. Compatible 5G-capable device and SIM require. Actual availability, coverage, and speed may vary. 5G network not available in all areas. One month equals 30 days. See terms and conditions at simplemobile.com. Good evening, Honey Hole Hangout. What's up? I'm glad to be back. I missed a week. Yeah, we missed having you here. Yeah, it felt weird. Although I haven't listened to the episode yet, but I don't think I've missed that many. No, you you only missed one. I only right? missed one, yeah. Feels weird. So you only missed the one that it was Zach and me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it felt weird for sure. Yeah, I think we covered it pretty good. We had a good one. We had Will on that was uh, talking about uh, moving and getting to know your new home waters and stuff like that and his plans. We're going to miss Will. If you're listening, two whiskey reviews on it, and I sent you pictures of it so that you could add it to the whiskey thing, but I don't know how that works. Okay, okay, I'll get those added. Well, tonight we're not drinking whiskey. What's the beverage of choice tonight, Cliff? We are drinking the Ranch Waters. Ranch waters, waters grapefruit. The Lone Rivers Ranch waters with the ruby red grapefruit. Rio red the, grape, grapefruit. Rio red grapefruit. It's good. Yeah, and I got a Miller. Feels like you're drinking water. Yeah, I think that the once it starts getting like hot, hot here, I think it's hard to beat uh, ranch water yeah. as far as refreshing goes. For sure. No, I agree. So no whiskey review tonight, but you guys should definitely go buy some ranch waters if you haven't tried one already. They are delicious their uh prickly pear one's pretty good and their spicy one is my favorite you know spicy i didn't think i'd like but i actually really like it yeah it's because it's not like truly spicy mm-hmm. it just ha- kind of has a little bit more of a yeah no agreed and you're on the miller light mm-hmm. the high life yeah i'm living the high life right now um i think today's going to be a pretty straightforward podcast we're just going to talk about my trip because i could probably talk about it for uh hours I was going to say five minutes. No, no, I could talk about it for hours. I took a bunch of notes on the trip to remind myself about what to talk about on the podcast. And then also I was thinking, I was like, you know what? Even if nobody listens to our podcast, it's cool that I'm going to go through my trip and kind of document everything that happened so that way in a couple years when my memory's gone and everything's a little fuzzy. When you're reaching to be president. <laughs> uh I can come back and I can listen to the podcast, and um, I think that's the one of the cool things that about the podcast is kind of like a diary um, of what you know we, we're doing. And uh, I was thinking the same thing about Instagram too. Um, you can go back and remember things that happened, and so I'm pretty excited to <clears throat> go through the trip tonight. Um, before we get into that. We Cliff, do you have any updates you would like to update our listeners about? Have you done anything like outdoors in the last 
like week or so? No. Uh, let's see. Any new toys or gadgets you want to talk about? No. Um, definitely not. I did see me and Zach recorded last Tuesday. Went through the week. I've been busy with work, so like that took up a lot took up a lot of time and everything. And then Saturday, uh, what did I do Saturday? I think I kind of just hung around, didn't do much. Uh, then Sunday, of course, was Father's Day, so we went up to Austin with Cynthia's family and whatnot, and hung around, and then came. Back down late Sunday evening, mm-hmm. then just got ready for work again. And I've had my mom preoccupied by a couple of other things that I was working on mm-hmm. until pretty much yesterday afternoon. Yeah. I think we have a kind of a big announcement to share. Yeah. You want to you wanna start talking about it? Yeah, I think you know more about it, and you're the driver of this outfit. Okay. I'm more like a gunner. You're more like a gunner. Yeah. Can I be a helicopter pilot? No, you're a driver. I'm a driver. You're a driver. Okay. So. Zach is the navigator. The navigator. The nav guy. He runs the board. He's the navigator. Kind of like gunner. Shooting from the hip. And (laughs) Ian is now up at HQ giving directions. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Um, so we are going to be joining a podcast network called Waypoint TV, and they are a online subscription based like hunting and fishing TV network. Um, they also have uh, a podcast network, and so we're going to be joining their crew. Our podcast really isn't going to change much. You guys might hear some advertisements uh, from us since we're joining them. Um, they're all going to be kind of based in our niche, but it's uh, it's going to help us grow, and we're really excited to be joining their crew. Um, and they have a bunch of other great podcasts on their network. I think Cliff's like listens actively listens to about half their podcasts. Even no, it before only, it's only four. It was only four before we had even started talking to them. As far as like, if you guys are listening on Apple and Spotify and wherever you listen, the podcast isn't going to change. You probably won't even know this to switch over, so you can still listen to or your to the podcast wherever you like. But it will also be available on Waypoint. It's not a subscription. Um, the podcast is still going to be free. Um, I think it's just their TV network that's a subscription. So. Um, but our, our podcast will also be on their app um, as another way to, to find it. But we're excited to join them, and things should be happening probably by the time this episode comes out. And so that's why we wanted to bring it up bring it up on the podcast. So, And if you guys have any questions for us about it, shoot us a message. And um, But we are real excited, and I think it's going to help our podcast grow, and uh, we're excited to be joining their team. And so, uh, yeah. Cliff, you have anything you want to add? No, I'm excited for the opportunity. I think it's going to be good for us. I think it's going to open up a lot more doors for guests and uh, opportunities to meet new and exciting individuals, mm-hmm. not even just on a local level, uh, but even more nationally. Yeah. And more nationally 
recognized people. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think we're all excited, me, Zach, and Cliff, and Ian, to uh, to be joining. So uh, if you if you notice some ads or anything like that, that's what we got going on. And um, but our our content isn't changing. Our podcast is going to be the same format per usual, and so you guys won't really notice a difference there. Yeah. Hey, Cliff, I sent you a I'm taking it right quiz. now. So, are you, are you cheating or are you legitimately taking no, it? I'm legitimately taking okay. it. Okay, okay. So, when I was uh, in Montana, we had to get a fishing license and uh, found a, uh, if you want to hunt bears in Montana, you have to take a bear uh, knowledge test to pass before you can get a tag. And basically, the test it tests you whether you can distinguish a black bear from a grizzly bear. So I wanted to see how Cliff would do on the podcast. He's currently taking it. It's actually pretty difficult. It is pretty hard. Especially when you don't know, like, I never claim to be a bear expert or anything no. at all. No, and it's... I know you don't. And I, uh, I took the quiz today, but I kind of had, I didn't, like, look the answers up or anything, but I kind of, like, had Google as a friend to, like, grizzly bear versus black bear pictures to help refresh myself on the differences between them i think i missed one question but i'm curious cliff going into it going into it blind he didn't know he was taking this today how many questions are there it's like 10 or 12 it's hard though it's a hard test if you aren't good at bear identification if you did a little bit of studying it's not too bad looking at some some pictures because what they do is they show you like pictures of brown-colored black bears, black-colored grizzly bears. and Blonde-faced black yeah. bear, bears. And yeah. Stuff. So they try to trick you up to make sure if you get a black bear tag, you're not going to shoot a grizzly bear. So we are mainly going to be talking about my Smith River trip, which was a awesome uh, trip that I went on with my dad, and there were six other people on the trip as well. And uh, I'm real excited to share the experience with you guys. As soon as Cliff finishes up this test, then uh, we'll get right into it. In the meantime, uh, we'll do this. Sorry, you did not pass the bear identification You did test. not? No. What did you score? A 66. A 66. And I needed an 80 to pass. What, which ones did you miss? I think it reviews the missed questions. It does. Did you uh, did you miss the one with the uh, brown? It was a brown female bear with the two black cubs. Because I missed that one. That was the one that I missed. Okay, answer key is check mark correct. The arrows is selected. I missed it. Yeah, that one threw me off. It's a hard test. They uh, really give you some like bears at weird angles so you really have to know all the identifying features between the two bears you guys can go to uh, montana fwp and take the test online if you want to if you want to quiz yourself what did you score on it a 93 did you really yeah i only missed one so you can hunt black you can hunt bears i can i i can now with that being said i've also had like i also looked at the test while i was in walmart because that's where i found it and then they give a little like helpful tips guide to like identification, which I did not give you because I wanted to. No, I didn't learn about the hump and the ears and stuff until halfway through the test. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's what I started going off yeah. of. Yeah. 
Yeah, because grizzly bears have the hump on their back. And smaller ears. Smaller ears. Black bears have much taller ears. Their face is flatter. Their their forehead down to their nose is flat, whereas a grizzly bear's is kind of like has a little bit of curvature to it. Mm-hmm. And so what the what the test does is basically shows you that you should not just base what you're shooting on color of the bear, that you should be able to identify the bear based on its other features. Yeah, I will say that that is, I mean, that's pretty smart on Montana to make you take that test so you, that you know. Well, I'm sure bears get mistaken all the time. Oh, when people yeah. are shooting wrong bears. I mean, apparently I would have shot wrong bears about 66% of the time. <laughs> so... Um, all right, let's get right into the trip. To start the trip off, Dad lost his luggage, did not make it. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that when you texted, and then you, I knew you were gone, so I didn't. So I kind of put it as a question to ask yeah. you when you got back, and I meant to ask today when we were at lunch. Did he ever get his stuff? He got his stuff after we got back. Oh, great. Yeah, so he, so, ha- he had to do some weird flights to get there. We flew into Helena, Montana, which is, like, not the world's biggest airport, and there's only, like, a couple flights that fly in and fly out per day. And so his trek was Abilene Airport, which only flies to DFW in Houston. So he had to fly from Abilene to Houston, Houston to Seattle, Seattle to Helena. He really, like, trekked across the country. To get to Helena. That sounds like a pain. Yeah. Like at that point, I almost would have rather drove. On the front end and on the back end of the trip, he was basically flying all day. It's like sitting in airports and flying all day. Because I remember calling you, y'all had just split up at SeaTac, maybe? Or no, Denver. Yes. That was the way back. We both flew back to Denver. Um, Because you're like, I'm back, and I was going to see if you wanted to go to dinner. No, I was was on the grid, but not back back. you, You confused me. So, yeah, he lost his bag. So his bags made it to Seattle, and his flight from Seattle to Helena was on Alaska, and the bags did not make it on the plane. Do you know where they went? They were checked in in Seattle. So, like, the scanner had registered that those bags made it to Seattle, and he had, like, a three-hour layover there, so it wasn't like, oh, you only had a 30-minute layover. We couldn't get your bags there in time. There was plenty of times to get his bags on the plane. So Seattle Airport screwed that up. And so when he made it to Helena, you know, they're like, well, we'll get your bags to you as soon as we can, like thinking next day. And, and the thing about this trip is that the next day we were taking off on a river where there is no service, no service, way off roads, no way to days. communicate for five days. And they're like, well, we've worked with the outfitter. I was like, I, we understand that you've worked with this outfitter before and delivered bags, but we are, this is not that kind of outfitter trip. This is, we're going to be on the river. So the only way that you can deliver the bags to us. Wait, did they say that they worked with this outfitter? Yes, with Healing Waters. That they've worked with them and delivered bags before. But if people fly into Helena and then they go to the lodge, they can deliver bags a day later, no problem. But when you're going on a five-day river float with no service no roads no nothing on the trip then how are they going to get the bags to you unless they like fly a plane over and drop your bags on a parachute i wish they would have that would have been cool that would have been so what they did and i wonder if you think this is a good deal they offered him a hundred dollar flight credit for alaska air you know since alaska air flies in our area of the country and yeah but it was them who 
messed it up. You can't be like, I'll, I'll offer you a $100 credit to fly Southwest. No, no, no. We didn't expect that, but it's just like, yes, it's nice that they offered a flight credit, but like realistically, that doesn't do anything for him because as little as he flies, and in reality, he has to use it in a year. Like, he has to go out of his way to get a flight on Alaska Air. Sounds so it's like, like I should go to Alaska. I know. And then they were going to pay for reasonable expenses due to having a lost bag. So we had to, like, close. Close. We had to go shopping. Uh, the only place that was open that late when we actually got started was Walmart. So we went to Walmart and bought as much clothes as they had available, but they really didn't have a lot for a trip like this. And the outfitter was able to provide a sleeping bag, um, some other stuff. His medication didn't make it. There's no way to, like, get that taken care of. Uh, so it really was kind of a interesting start to the trip. Um, and it's kind of funny too, cause we had talked about, uh, on like a couple podcasts ago, like how to pack for a trip and yada, yada, yada. And the only thing that he had on the trip that he took on his carry on was his waiters, which we never even used on the trip. So he's like, if I would have thought about this differently, you know, I definitely would have carried on some different items than I did. But I was like, well, I would have been in the same boat as you because I carried on a bunch of camera equipment because to me that's the most valuable thing but not the most important thing for this trip. Right. Because I carried on my drone. I carried on a bunch of camera equipment, and that's a lot of value, and I wanted to make sure that that wasn't lost. So, But if my bag would have been lost, I wouldn't have had any clothes, no sleeping bag, like camping essentials for a trip like this I would not have had. But I could have taken great pictures. So we, we ended up running around Walmart. There were no rental cars available, so we had to take an Uber, and there was only one Uber driver in the whole town, and he was busy. And so he dropped us off at Walmart, then we went to dinner and trying to get our licenses and all that. This guy was, he dropped us off, run to another trip, then come pick us up, drive us to our next spot, drop us off, do another trip. So it was like... And all those people got right to your dad's card. <laughs> um... And so, yeah, it ended up it ended up being a mess in the beginning. Well, I mean, I guess it's kind of cool that they're like reasonable expenses will pay for. Yeah, so like he lost clothes, and he didn't go crazy either. You know, he bought some clothes, and we I mean, had pretty being much in Montana. Isn't there like a few camo companies who could have tried to find the? Well, at this point, it was like eight o'clock because there's a Sportsman's Warehouse in Helena, but it was closed. You know, so, like, there was actually some, like, legit stores we could have gone to, but Walmart was the only place open, so that's where we're buying clothes. I get it. Yeah. Did he get overalls? He did not get overalls. He should have. He did Every not get overalls. Every man needs a good pair of overalls. And I really, I only, like, changed clothes once on the trip, and I know he didn't have that many pairs of clothes, so. Um, yeah, uh, I would have just, I would have packed more of, like, base layers. Like underwear and stuff like that. Didn't even need it, honestly. It was so warm. No, I mean just underwears. Mm-hmm. But because uh, I don't like wearing like I wear clothes multiple days in the row, but I can't really wear underwear. Even the ex officios, dude. I'll rock ex officios for like six I'm, weeks. That's what they say on the package. If I'm somewhere where that's a thing that I have to do, yes. But also every day, no. Yeah. We, um, let me pull up my notes here because I got a lot of stuff. So, did you get any good drone, drone footage or did you use it? Did you just oh, yeah. opt out? I used it up. 
Like I came back. Oh, before the trip, I bought a solar charger and a power bank to take so I could recharge batteries. Even though I offered you my power bank? You did offer me your power bank, but I've been needing a power bank for a while, and this was just like enough to like set me over the edge. Although what I should have done is taken my power bank and your power bank. I had double the power because the drone batteries, they only fly for 20 minutes, and they need a lot of juice. And yeah. so, and even with the solar, the solar charger. Did that work out for you? It did work. But here's the thing about outdoor solar chargers, and I think solar chargers in general, when they mean you need eight hours of direct sunlight to charge a power bank, they mean eight hours of direct sunlight. And so my best thing I could do was set the solar charger up in the morning while the sun was coming up, pointed directly at the sun, not moving it. And then when we got back to camp, I'd immediately set it up and then charge, you know, charge my, recharge my power bank. You couldn't hang it off the side of the boat? No, we did put on the cooler. But the thing is, the boat's moving, so it's not really considered direct sunlight. And then we're in the shade part of the time. It really needs to be stationary, pointed at the sun. Now, that did provide some charge, but if you're thinking about having out for an eight-hour day and that's going to fully charge my power bank, that's not really true. It's like, you know, the eight hours of direct sunlight would be like the two hours in the morning and the two hours in the evening I had, you know, would charge it maybe like halfway. And then the eight hours on the boat all day would charge it like a little bit because it's so moving it around like a lot. seems like unless you're going to have a stationary camp, they're not really worth it. I would still say it was worth it because I was able to make use. And even if you're backpacking or going somewhere else or something, you can set it up for like an hour here, hour there. And I don't think most people, even my like GoPro batteries and stuff, which that's another thing I might bring up later on in the podcast. Remind me about GoPros later. I'll write it down. Even though, like, because of my drones, they take, that is what really depleted me. If you're going on it, a trip with a phone, and you're using your phone for video, which I did a lot of the time, maybe taking a couple action cameras with a couple spare batteries, dude, I, it wouldn't have been a problem at all. But because I have a drone that only flies for 20 minutes, and the batteries take a lot of charge. So I could charge See, like two I, full drone batteries on a full power bank when my power bank will charge my iPhone 10 times. See, I'm just thinking it might would be best, unless you had like a true stationary camp. Like if you're going hunting and you had a true base camp that you're going to go back to every night, you could set it up and let it charge throughout the day come back, charge your gear or whatever that you needed. That's an option. But if you're moving and on the go, I think it would probably be just as good, if not better, to have two decently sized milliamp hour power banks mm -hmm. if you're going to do that. Yeah, I could see I could see the argument for both ways. I think I, I think the only thing with that would be the power banks are significantly heavier than the solar panel. So if you're taking weight into consideration. I think that depends on which power banks you get. Like the one that I have, it's a decent size. I get a lot of charges off of it. Mm -hmm. I've probably only actually had to recharge the bank itself twice mm. since owning it. And it's pretty lightweight. It's no bigger than my cell phone. And yeah, I got a tank of a power bank. Because yeah. I wanted to get a big one that would yeah, hold I see, a lot. I want to see the one that you got. Yeah, I'll, I'll show it to you. But I, I liked it. 
Um, and, uh, you know, even though we're doing, like, a floating and camping trip, space wasn't, like, a huge consideration. Like, if I was backpacking, maybe it'd be a different conversation because mm-hmm. we, we would load our stuff up in, like, big dry bags. And I had, like, you know, took a pillow and a sleeping bag and clothes and a book. And, you know, I had all the creature comforts I really Now, wanted. when you say dry bags, do you use, like, a panga or anything? It wasn't like that. They were big, like, NRS roll-top dry bags. Okay. And they were big, like big, big, big. Did you buy it specifically for this trip? No, they provided it for the trip. They provide it, okay. Yeah, yeah. So let's get into the trip. Uh, On day one, we took, we launched on Tuesday. And on Tuesday, we fished with Dave was our guide. Oh, I got another funny story. So They they switch out guides every day? Well, I figured like your guide on day one would be the same as your guide on day five when you're coming off the river. So the way the trip is set up is it's a group of eight clients. Mm-hmm. And so there's four guides. And then there's also three gear boats. Oh, so it's like daisy chaining them all together. So like a convoy of rafts. Kind of, but the gear boats would like take off. They'd be gone. You wouldn't see them all day. Once they, like, we may have launched before them, but they'd pass us like within an hour, and they would do the float in like two to three hours. They'd go set up camp because they took a big like, uh, like base camp tent, like a big one that all the cooking and stuff was done under. So they'd set up camp and get stuff ready, and they had big coolers filled filled with beer, and so and that's where our dry bags went. So they weren't taking up space on our rafts. Um, and so there were three gear boaters. So there were guys on the boat steering and paddling those because I kind of figured that they just let them go because I was going to ask how they stop them. No, yeah. So there's three three guys on them with oars, and there's one guy on each boat. So each gear boat is taken down by one person. And then, um, yeah, one of the uh, gear boaters' name was Bo, and he's 15 and what a job to have when you're 15. For real. Yeah. He started, I think he started like weed eating at the lodge is what they said. And uh, they started weed eating, he started weed eating at the lodge and then they started giving more responsibilities. And then 15 years old, you want to take a gear boat down the river? You mean I get to float the Smith River every day and row and be outside? I bet his back and arms are jacked. So... Yeah, he, Bo was, and he's like a super polite kid, and everyone, the whole trip was commenting on like, man, Bo's going to be as successful, successful in life. He's like as polite and respectful as he is and hardworking because those gear boats weren't light and just taking care of everybody. So, Bo, if you ever listen to this. Did you tell him about it? What do you mean did we tell him about it? Did you tell him about yeah. the podcast? Yeah, yeah, everybody knows. Got to add some listeners. If you guys went on the trip with me, Thanks for listening to the podcast. Well, I'll talk about some other guys on the podcast, but uh, shout out to Bo. So, so there were seven boats, four guide boats, two clients each, three gear boats. So we swapped guides every day so we could fish with somebody new. And you get to learn different stuff with different guides because each guide has their own way of approaching things and doing that. And that was really fun. I liked fishing with a different guide every day. And then one day we doubled up. Um, because there's five days and four guides. Uh, funny story about one of the guides. So Cassio, who was on our podcast a couple episodes ago, mm-hmm. before the trip, he said, hey, are you fishing with Griff? Who, 
and uh, Griffin is a guide on the Guadalupe and works for uh, Living Waters. And I, me and Griff had met in passing before, don't know each other super well. Cassio sent me that message, hey, are you fishing with Griff by chance? I thought, I'd message, I didn't message him back, but in my head I was like, dude, there's 10,000 guides in Montana. There's no way, like, I'm going to be lucky enough to, like, Griff be on our trip. No way. And then we're, like, meeting up at, like, a gas station before the trip. There's Griff. He's one of the guides on our trip. So uh, we got to fish with him. I, me and Dad got to fish with him for one day, and uh, we had a great time. And, I mean, we're hanging out so with all the Texas guides. So he's a Texas boy. He's a Texas boy. Uh, started guiding for Living Well. He's, like, one of Living Water's main guide. Fishes the quad in the winter and then goes to Montana in the summer and guides. But we're going to have him on the – when he gets back to Texas, we're going to have him on the podcast. So, yeah, I just like small, small world. In my – when – honestly, when Cassio messaged that to me, I was like, dude, there is no way in the world out of all, like, 10,000 – there's been 40,000 guide licenses handed out in Montana since they did it. It was like, out of how many active guides there are, there's no way that Griff is going to be on this trip. Of like a couple guides, but here he is. So um, we fished with Dave on day one, and some highlights of the day. We had some like uh, birds picking our flies up off the water, like when we were floating. Like I'd never seen that before. It was cool. They like thought they were bugs and were like trying to pick them up and take them. Um, Did you get one in hand? No, 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 no. They like. Birds are pretty smart. They, like, knew pretty quick, like, I'm dropping this. This is not a real bug. We never, no one actually ever hooked one. Um, what you're telling me is you try to trout set it instead of strip it. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think anybody really wanted to, like, try to pull a hook out of a bird, so we were just kind of Oh, hoping. I totally would have. Um, we got stopped by the game wardens. Nice. Which was exciting. How were they? They were very nice. They have, again, just like Bo, um... A 15-year-old game warden? No, no, no. Just like Bo, I think, uh, and I don't blame these game wardens at all, but once you're on the Smith, you're on it for a couple days. And so, well, why don't we float the river for five days and check licenses as an excuse to get out on the river? Because there is not, once you're on, you're on. So these guys got on. They're floating the river, camping just like everybody else. They, they float with y'all no no that we because that would have been funny like i'm they just sure start fishing behind y'all. i'm sure they probably do it in like four days i don't think they do the full five days because if you really push hard each day you could knock some time off i really don't think i think they're trying to move as fast as possible to check as many people as possible so, you saying that makes me wonder are you not allowed motors on the smith through that stretch or anything because no. something tells me like if i was a game warden and i was on a river like that Put no. a motor on it so that you have to, you can get up and down it quicker. No, it's a small river. Okay. Yeah, I don't, and I don't think motors are allowed. They went down in a raft just like we were in. Um, one guy on our trip, he uh, had Montana uh, Wildlife had emailed him his license, but we're on a trip with no service, and it was in his email as an attachment. 
So that when he, he went, pull that yeah. Up. So when he went to open his email, he couldn't open the attachment and show that he had a license. So did he get a ticket? No, they didn't. Um, yeah, they didn't do anything. And then one of the guides um, got a warning because they're supposed to have their like, I guess, license number on the side of their boat. And this guide, uh, Montana, hadn't mailed him his like boat sticker mm-hmm. license that he's supposed to like hang over the oar or lock and he was saying like hey i have all the information i have my number it's all he had like a nice folder with like all the information documented he had even taken like a piece of tape and written his number on it and like put it on the boat to show like hey i am a montana guide i have my number but what he was saying was that uh montana um fwp hadn't like mailed him his actual thing yet because their printer wasn't working so they couldn't actually print them so the game wardens were kind of the game wardens were kind of giving him a hard time about it and he's like look i can't do it i'm doing the best i can i have all the information that shows on my guide here's a piece of tape i went through the effort to like actually put this on myself and they ended up giving him they didn't give him a ticket they gave him a warning but i feel like that's still i guess in the way to think about it is technically, no, he's not 100% up and up because he doesn't have the actual thing. Mm-hmm. So I guess like, because a, a warning in that instance sounds like it's harsh a little bit, like you're getting in trouble, but you're not getting in trouble mm-hmm. at the same time. So I don't know. Like that's a tricky predicament. Like if they actually documented and everything, and then if it happened again what happens is it just like another warning or i don't know see and i think i don't know they can't expect people to put their livelihoods on hold because their printer's not working yeah that that was kind of his thing um and i don't know if i told the story on the podcast but i'll tell it quick i got a ticket one time in junction because my uh trailer license and registration was not up to date but this was during like COVID and I couldn't, I had been trying to get my trailer registered properly and get everything taken care of, but the offices were closed. And when I had called in, they were like, you know, most people screw up the application when they actually mail it in. So it's better if you just wait for, it's better if you just wait for us to uh, open back up and come in and get it taken care of. Cause 90% of the applications mailed in are done incorrectly. And I was like, okay, and so I kept checking, and they were never open. They were always closed because of COVID, and I could never get in there. Well, then I get a ticket injunction because my registration wasn't done properly. And the judge, uh, I called the judge, and I told him the situation. I told the officer the situation, too, but he didn't really believe me. I told the judge what was going on. He was super funny and nice, and he's like, oh, I know how it is in Bear County. I used to work there. They're slow, as, slow at everything. And he's like, I'll give you like eight months to get your registration. If you send me proof that you got your trailer registered, I'll drop your ticket. Did I ever tell you, I have a, it's not something that's like a a ticket. Well, I did get a ticket or anything, but it's not something that I should have gotten out of by any means. But I was in, uh, it's another poop story. But I was uh, in my hometown and I was coming back from somewhere after eating and I'm driving home, and my stomach just starts going, 
So I start trying to beat the buzzer, and so like I'm driving down Highway 61 at the time. Not, I was speeding, but trying to go like reasonable so that I didn't get pulled over. And then I finally got pulled over, and the officer was like, so why are you driving so fast? And I'm like, I'm about to shit myself. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, well, I got to go run everything. And so I'm just sitting there around there running everything and writing the ticket, like just praying. Like my stomach is like churning and all this other stuff. He's like, all right, slow it down. And I'm like, thank you, officer. And I just take it and I just, I immediately get back up to speed. But luckily I was like. Did he give you a ticket or a warning? No, he gave me a ticket. Oh, did he? And then I finally turned, like the road I was going to wasn't too far. So I finally turned and then just ran home. I believe I left like doors wide open on the Jeep at the time. Just to go to the bathroom. Yeah. It nice. was pretty bad. Nice. So, yeah, that was the game wardens. Uh, they have a good job. Um, oh, we filled. Oh, I have this video. I'm going to put it on Instagram maybe tomorrow. We There was a natural spring coming out of the rocks, like fresh water. We filled up our bottles out of the natural spring and drank the water. It was like have the you never greatest done that testing, tasting water ever. No, no, that was the first time. I used to do it in North Georgia. Is there a place to do that? Yeah, uh, going towards Jasper, coming around the mountain, there's a stream like a coming out of the side of the mountain, and people would actually go and fill up jugs, and I'd go fill mine up every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, it's good tasting water, like yeah. fresh from the source. Um, there were some deer in the river. Like a small buck and a doe that were just like chilling the river, like chest high. What? I saw a video. So this is kind of a rambly episode, but <laughs> I saw a video on uh, Instagram. Is a dude fishing, mm-hmm. and he pulled up his fishing, and it something snagged his line. So he starts reeling it in, coming up, and it's a full, like. Skull with, with antlers. antlers. I saw that. It's really cool. Yeah. So we saw some deer kind of playing in the river, hanging out. Um, saw a beaver. Nice. So that was cool. Did you get her name? Nope, did not. And then uh, at camp that night, we had uh, we had really nice dinners. We had tuna and the hottest wasabi I think I've ever tried. Like, I can't explain it, but almost immediately started crying and like, you could feel the burning in your nose. I'm not a huge wasabi fan anyway, but everyone was talking oh, about it. everyone was talking about how hot it was. And and it was hot. Um and on I think on day one, like we caught some fish. Um we kind of got started late because it takes a while to get the boats loaded up, and by the time we drive out there, so it's kind of more like day one's kind of like a half day. Um getting your bearings and everything. Um on uh, Wednesday, which is day two, uh, fish with Pat that day. Pat was awesome. And uh, we had oatmeal and sausage for breakfast. But listen to this. So they make oatmeal, and they put it into a baking pan, refrigerate it, so it's like all flat, like a pan of brownies. Then they bring it on the trip, and morning two for breakfast while everything's still cold, they put on a skillet and, like, toast each side to warm it up. It was so good. Threw some, like, powdered sugar and blueberries on top. And, 
like I've never really been a bit big oatmeal fan, but I could do it that way all the time. It was really good. So did they so they cooked it and then froze it on a cookie sheet. I think they refrigerated it. So they And that's why I think that's why it's like the first morning's breakfast because the there's still ice in the coolers, everything's cold, and then the frozen stuff is like at the end of the trip. That's okay. kind of how they pack the coolers. Okay. Um, I think that's kind of the thing behind the like tuna the first night. You know, it needs to be probably the first thing you eat. Where steaks, you freeze them; they can be the last thing that you eat. Um. This episode is brought to you by the NHL on TNT. When it comes to hockey. The Stanley Cup playoffs are built different. Experience the intensity and insanity on the ice and off it from now through June on TNT and TBS. Get ready for seven game rounds of knockdowns, dragouts, pressure, and agony as teams go head to head without ever letting up. The Stanley Cup playoffs are known for more than just a few cracked ribs and black eyes. Pushing through the pain is the name of the game. With so much edge of your seat action, you'll refuse to shave or change your jersey. Don't say we didn't warn you. Ready to feel the rush? Watch the Stanley Cup playoffs now on TNT and CBS. How do you explain the unexplainable? That warmth that fills you up from the inside out? Does it come from the air, the sea, the sun, the people? Or is it something that can't be put into words? Because Aruba is more than a beautiful island. It's a feeling that brings out a happier, sunnier you. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your next visit at aruba.com. Cowboy coffee every morning for breakfast, drinking the grinds and all. That's how you're supposed to do it. Yeah. Um, On day two, like, the scenery really changed. That's where we dropped, started dropping into the canyon. And you could tell, like, by, like, the start seeing, like, the big rock walls and everything that you were coming up against. Um, and uh, Dad and I, this was our best day of fishing. Oh, and the fish, just so everybody knows, uh, rainbow trout, brown trout, and uh, white fish. Probably average fish, maybe, like, 12 inches. I think, like... Dad caught an 18-inch fish on the trip, which was probably, like, some of the bigger fish in the river. But on day two, we we hammered the fish. Absolutely hammered them. So, I have a story about merganser duck babies. Okay. Okay. So, Pat, I apologize in advance, Pat, for calling you out on this. But Pat started a rumor that he had heard from someone else. Didn't start a rumor, but he continued the rumor. And there were a lot of mergansers on the river. And a lot of them would have, like, their little chicklings, little ducklings falling behind them or whatever. And Pat had said that mergansers only lay, have only lay two eggs each. And so if you see a merganser female with, like, five, six, seven chicklets, they're actually stolen babies. So the moms will fight. And the stronger mom will, like, adopt the other babies. And then what she'll do is the babies that she actually had will stay close to her or, like, hang out on her back because some of them will, like, pop up. It's really kind of cute, actually. They kind of, like, just pop up on her back, and she swims around, and there's, like, 
two little chicklings on the back and then all the other babies are the adopted ones so if a predator comes they get the adopted babies instead of her direct children well that's brutal <laughs> but it's not true <laughs> but it's not true so he told us that and there was a lot of skepticism from a lot of people on the trip about it it's a cool story and and his claim was that he was on a smith river trip and he actually watched two moms fight, and then all the babies went with, like, one mom. And there was a biologist on the trip, and apparently this biologist had told them that they'll, you know, fight and steal babies. And, but there was a lot of skepticism on the trip, so we couldn't – there was no way to actually look it up because there's no service. So the whole trip, it was like an inside joke about the merganser babies. And uh, I got some emails from the group of people researching it when they get back, and they're pretty funny and informative, so I'm going to set the record straight on merganser ducks. Uh, some birds, including, including common mergansers and ostriches, raise their babies in a daycare system that's uh, in a daycare system, experts say. Females leave their ducklings in the care of one female, often an older female who is experienced at raising babies. Um, the females at the certain lake which they were watching, many of which are related, lay eggs that hatch around the same time. Afterwards, the ducks... Adult ducks go to molt their feathers, leaving the broods in the care of a matriarchal female. So if you see a merganser with, like, a ton of chicklings, it's more of like a daycare system. A follow-up email to this, which I thought was pretty funny, was uh, someone sent, I found this is an authoritative source. The common merganser does not as some claim, steal merganser babies from other merganser mothers. The rumor is that the duck mother, known as duck mother, boards her natural issue atop her back and then steals multiple unrelated chicks to follow her in the water. Each cute orphan a decoy as it paddles its tiny web feet below the surface like spinner blades screaming, eat me. This maneuver is, it is claimed, prompts trout and other subsurface killers to attack as they must the defenseless little swimmers who wanted nothing more in life than a chance to live free though the story has spread as far and as wide as the mercancers range its genesis is traced to a fishing guide on the smith river montana usa so there's been like a uh a, a, a email chain going on continuing the merganser joke from the trip um which is pretty great so uh, what you're telling me is that someone needs to create a baby duck fly. I've seen them. I'll send you some pictures. Really? Yeah, there's duck flies. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll find some pictures and send them to you. Um, the, on day two, we also saw um, our first set of pictographs. They were like a family of hands, like on this big wall, um, which was pretty cool. You couldn't really stop. It was like right above the river, so it's like, you know, you could back row a bit and check them out. There was a bald eagle nest that we saw. It was like eight feet wide. It was huge. Saw lots of eagles, uh, osprey, bald eagles, osprey, golden eagles. I think you'll find this interesting. There was a heated discussion at the campfire about wolves what from was both the sides. Discussion? It was like a Cliff versus Ian. You mean Zach? Ta- uh, yeah, uh, Z- Zach versus Cliff discussion. People on like both sides of the aisle. I'm sitting in the middle just listening. As always. As always. I'm not getting in the middle of that. So what were they discussing about them? Whether they should be reintroduced or whether they shouldn't be reintroduced and what the rules and regulations should be and that whole deal. That's for another podcast. 
but um, I wrote it down. We got tons of fish. It's day two, like a lot of fish. Me and Dad, had, we had two doubles, which means we both were hooked into a fish at the same time. I had a fish chase a streamer that was pretty exciting. Um, there was this one fish on this bank that we were trying to fish. It was eating dry flies, and the way the current was, it was really hard to get a good drift and get your fly in there. So we put a streamer on to see if we could get him to come out, and he did. And uh, he never ate it, but he chased it. But it was a, it was a nice fish. And uh, I lost a fish under a cut bank. So I'd hooked a fish, and, like, these rock walls are huge, but then where the water flows, there's, like, underneath areas where, like, the fish hang out. So this fi- I hooked this fish on a, um, on a hopper, and then it, like, went under the bank and got all tangled up. It was pretty, it was pretty sad. Oh, let me talk to you about the latrine situation on the trip. I'm interested. So they have, like, they have, like, latrines uh, that Montana FWP sets up. Fish Wildlife Parks, yeah. Montana FWP sets up. They have to be 200 feet away from the river. So at some campsites, because we're in a canyon, that's really hard to get 200 feet away. And some campsites, it wasn't really a problem. 200 feet away from the river is no problem. And what they do is they dig a deep hole. Once the hole's filled, they cover it up. And then they move the latrine a couple feet over, dig another hole. That's, that's how they do that. How the, full does the hole have to be? It's pretty full. Like, the, hole, the holes that they dig are no joke. And I'm assuming digging by hand because, like, how you get machinery down there to dig these holes. And so on our second campsite night, you had to, like, hike pretty far uphill like the steep gradient to get up there, and there's like bear warning signs and everything. And then when you're actually using the restroom, you have this like beautiful scenery looking at the river, but the bears would come from the back. If there were bears, you are not facing the direction that they would come from to attack you. It's like this whole open exposed area. So they give you this bear warning. So was it kind of like a... A squat situation, or was there like a seat? There's a seat, so it they dictated which way you do you you're facing. Correct. They chose the view over safety. Yes, they did. <laughs> the view was the view was spectacular, but is the view worth dying from a bear attack while your pants that's are the around worst your ankle? Way, that's the worst way to go with your pants around your ankles. Pinching a loaf and. Pants or bear just come up and go, Rawr! Yeah, no, totally exposed. Like, all three directions and behind you, or not all three, like, the sides and back, like, totally exposed to a bear, and that is a 100% where they would come from. And then to put, like, oh, beware of bears and not let you, like, face your enemy while you're... What if it was all a joke and there weren't bears? Maybe. It may have been a precaution. Or what if they set it up like that on purpose... So people weren't lollygagging. It could be that too. Or maybe they set it up because they don't want people leaving food out and stuff like that. I could see that being a legitimate concern. You don't want to do anything that's attracting bears, so the more signs you put up, the less things you're going to be doing to actually attract bears in. I think it's a way to scare the crap out of you, so if you're clogged up from <laughs> all the mountain house. It'd be funnier if uh, they put some, like, Speakers out there behind a bush and just put some bears down. (laughs) It's on a delay timer. So the weather on the trip was pretty warm. Give like a quick update. Nights were cold. It's like you get in your sleeping bag. Like at night, 
it was noticeably like 20 degrees colder in the shade. Like there was a significant difference there between being in the sun and being in the shade. Like we right now are in your garage and it's really humid. There's no difference between really being in your garage and being, being outside. outside. Even though we're technically shaded right now. There, if you were like floating and you went like on this cliffside where there's a bunch of shade, immediate like 20 degree feeling difference. So at night, it actually got pretty cold. Um, the day was warm. The days were warm, like ranged anywhere from like, I would say like 80 to 95 degrees. Some days were like closer to 80. Some days were closer to 95. And one thing I also want to note about our trip that is probably different than what our listeners, if they ever do this trip, are going to experience is that the water was extremely low, especially for the time of year that we went. And actually our trip was the last trip down the river before the outfitter canceled the rest of the trips afterwards. So there was like three more weeks worth of trips that were going to launch after us and they were all canceled. So the water was really low. And even all the guides who have guided like multiple years, even into July, were saying this is the lowest water I've ever seen. And so uh, I just want to point that out too, because our floats probably took longer because the water was lower per day than they normally would and it changed how the fishing was although the fishing was good the fish were definitely holed up in deeper holes they weren't as spread out um the water was warmer so that was a concern um we never wore waders you know they say pack for the winter because you never know what's going to happen but no one ever pulled any waders out or anything uh we had pork loin for dinner it was very good nice i like a good pork loin yeah it was good um day three griff was our guide Probably my favorite meal on the trip was breakfast of day three. French toast with huckleberry cream cheese. Did you and Griff talk about, like, Drama Lupe stuff? Oh, yes. Yeah, we had a full day of fishing to talk about Drama Lupe. You go halfway or clear across the country. Well, what was funny, because my dad doesn't really fish that much, but um, me and Griff were talking about it, and I hadn't actually thrown the term out, Drama Lupe, yet. And dad was like, why don't you tell Griff what you call it? And I was like, you mean the drama Lupe? And Griff had heard that a thousand times too. So, yeah, we talked about the quad and other stuff that we like to fish. So we're going to get Griff out. He's a great guy. We had a great, we had a great time on the trip. Um, he's a really nice guy. So we're going we're gonna to get him on the, on the podcast. French toast. We had French toast with huckleberry cream cheese for breakfast. It was so good. I want to go online and try to find some to order. Definitely can't buy that here. More of a local where huckleberries, where you can actually pick huckleberries kind of thing. Um, I'll be your huckleberry. We had uh, a couple things. It was the longest day by far. I think we had to float like 15 miles. Mm-hmm. So long down the river with the intention of like, hey, we can't fish all day because we fish, we move really slow. We're going to have to like push through. There was a place that we stopped at about 2 o'clock called Heaven on Earth. This is the ice cream shop? This is the ice cream shop. So we stopped at this place called Heaven on Earth, and they make homemade ice cream sandwiches, and they were delicious. They also have a specialty drink called a Deep Creek, named after a creek that flows into the Smith River. There's a creek named Deep Creek that flows in the Smith River near there, so they created their own mixed drink called a Deep Creek. And... Those are delicious. It is a combination. Is that an alcoholic drink? It is. It's a combination of gin 
orange juice and Sprite. Seems like it'd be pretty good. It's good. And so I had one while we were stopped because they just bring them out to you as a single serve. But you could buy a jug for $30. Did you? And guess who went to camp with the jug in his hand? This guy. Did you drink it all or did you bring some back? No, it all got... It all got drank. See, My jug was gone by the end of that night because I let everyone have access to it, but I was deep. I was deep creaked that night. You should have bought like a pint jar or something of it. We can make bring. it here. We can make it here. Yeah, but it's something more like special. Yeah, flying, but it was like a resealed jug. It wasn't like a legitimate like packaging. It was like a resealed jug, and like flying with so that. So you're telling me they nice. ain't got access to mason jars up there? I don't know. I don't know. I guess we're going to have to make it. Do you know what type of gin they used? No, I, I can find out, though. We got their business card. Now, my I only had one disappointment on the trip. You also got to find out what type of orange juice they use. Is it Tropicana? I don't know. We can experiment and try to figure out the exact recipe. I don't have anything to compare it to. I only had one disappointment on the trip. Heaven on Earth also had a very small nine-hole golf course. And... Just to say that I played golf on the trip, which is like the weirdest thing ever because you go down this river where there's maybe 12 houses down the whole like 60-mile stretch, maybe 20 houses. Like you barely see any houses. You barely see any roads. Like you're in a canyon. We're at this place called Heaven on Earth. They have a nine-hole golf course. So I offered the girl who was working at the like – little building that they sold the ice cream sandwiches and you could refill ice and all that stuff. I was like, I just want to play one hole. Of golf. I'll pay you five bucks just to play one hole of golf. And she's like, I don't know if my boss would let me do that. I'm like, I just want to say I did it. And like, she's like, no one's really asked that before. I was like, no one's stopping. Like, Hey, can I just play one hole? Cause there was a hole right, right there. Mm-hmm. But just to say, I played golf on the Smith while I was floating the Smith. So it sounds like she ended up letting you. No, she did not. Oh. She did not. She's like, well, you have to play the whole course. And I didn't want to do that because... I feel like if she would have really asked her manager, like, there's no overhead on one guy playing. I just need a pitching wedge and a putter because the holes were, like, no further apart. It was, like, a small part three course, like 70 yards. Like, all I needed was a pitching wedge, a putter, and one golf ball. And here's $5 in your pocket that you didn't have before. She's like, it's $20... And I'll drive you up the hill, and you can, like, tee off. And, but we ha- we, it was a long day, so we didn't have, like, time for me to, like, play nine holes. Nine holes. I just, like, just give me a pitching wedge, a putter, and a golf ball. I'll give you five bucks. I could play my one hole of golf, say I did it. Yeah, I feel like they would have come out on the better end of that deal if they would have just been like, yeah, you can play one hole. Yeah. And then maybe some, a lot of people would be like, you know what? I want to play one hole. That's five more dollars that they wouldn't have had there, too. My dad uh, met actually met the owner. Uh, I think his name was Vince. Did I can't he bring remember. that up to him? No, we didn't. Because by the time Vince had come down, all the other boats were there, so we were about to leave. But Dad got his business card. I think he got the business card because I think Dad had a great time on the trip. But Heaven on Earth, they like have like little cabins and stuff, and you can go out and stay, and they do horseback riding. They have three miles of river access. And uh, they have like a little nine hole golf course, but it's like a family deal because not everyone wants to do like a trip like we did. So me, you, and your dad are gonna go. Yeah, up. so me, <laughs> me, you, and dad are gonna go up to heaven on earth, play some golf, do some fishing, 
Brought some and, horses. But dad was like, you should ask Vince. But I was like, well, at that at that point, it was like all the boats were there, and I didn't want to be the guy hanging up the that rest guy, of the group. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't end up. Uh, I didn't end up uh, playing. But that's the only thing. If I look back, my thing on this trip was, am I going to be looking back in a week and like be upset that I didn't do something? So, and I'll talk about my mentality about doing another thing um, for day four, but I'll get to that in a minute. I'll finish day three out. They, we had a hot lunch on day three. They cooked brats. They were awesome. I've had an actual legit brat in like years. Forgot how much I like them. Oh, way better than hot dogs. Oh, yeah. Um, and then we had uh, at camp that night, uh, there were more pictographs um that we could hike to is like a 10 minute walk so we walked over and checked out the pictographs they were real cool and i've been trying to do research like get more information on the pictographs like when they were actually written on the smith river there's like 175 different pictograph areas and they date back anywhere from like pre-european meeting Mm -hmm. so like 1700s all the way back to i think i read like 3000 bc so it was like oh, wow. hard to like distinguish what pictographs I looked at versus the ones that were aged because it was more of like when I was looking into it, it was like oh here's a generalization of like 3000 BC to 1700 all of the pictographs in that area were dated from those ranges but it was hard to I want to know like the pictographs I looked at how old do they think they are I found some papers and stuff but nothing super specific although I did find like a 400-page dissertation on uh, Smith River pictographs, but I haven't actually started reading a 400-page dissertation on Smith River. I I don't think I would. (laughs) Smith River pictographs. And then uh, we had uh, chicken for dinner, which was really good, chicken and gravy. It was fantastic. And then one of the coolest nights, there was a guy who went with us on the trip, one of the coolest guys I think I've ever met, I won't say his name just in case he doesn't want me to. But um, he was a PJ in the Air Force for like over 20 years. And I didn't even know what a PJ was until I started talking to him. But uh, PJ is a Air Force Special Forces. Um, the U- PJ used to stand for pararescue. But now, or para jumper, but now they call them para rescues, PJ para, para rescue, and they're a special forces unit. And I think he said they carry about three hundred active, three hundred active para rescues um, total at any given time. They just do like awesome missions. What they do is like they will go rescue people wherever they are, whatever the situation is. And uh, he was telling us all about the training. It takes like two years for training, and I think he said they started with like 150 people when he graduated. There were seven people left, and they just go in and do like crazy, crazy missions. Um, and it, it was cool to learn about that aspect, and they actually train at Lackland in San Antonio. So he spent a lot of time in San Antonio. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So he was a really cool guy. Then he was a firefighter. Now he's retired and uh, likes to uh, fly fish as his new hobby. And likes really good wine. He built his own wine cellar. Just a really interesting guy. But uh, on that night, me and him were the only two guys still up at the campfire. And a helicopter was flying through the canyon. 
and it was flying lights out, so you couldn't see it. It was flying really low, and so when it flew over us, it was maybe maybe like one to 200 feet above us, so really low, and it was like super loud and echoing through the canyon. I think it woke a bunch of people up because it was all the wind and everything was like shaking tents, and he was saying that they were probably like doing training through the training to fly through the canyon with like night vision goggles and stuff like that. He was telling me all about it. It was, it was really cool. On day four, we had Pat as our guide again. And this, that's the day that dad caught us 18 inch brown. We had pancakes for breakfast, but this was probably my favorite day because me and Pat hiked up to a cave that was, and I posted it to our Instagram already. If you guys want to see it, but they had said it was 700 vertical feet above the river. So it was like a pretty intense hike up. And we were going to make it a game time decision. Like we were going to look at it first and decide if we wanted to do it. Because apparently it's pretty strenuous. And uh, that's when my mentality of like looking at the cave and looking at how like ridiculously high it was. My mentality of like, am I going to regret, am I going to be laying in bed in a week and regret not climbing up to this cave? Yes. So me and Pat hiked up, and I wouldn't say it was a hike. I would say it was more of a climb. There were, like, spots where they had set ropes out Mm -hmm. to actually help you climb up. Going up wasn't too bad. Coming down was pretty sketchy with how steep it was. Nothing was ever really, like, straight up and down, um, like legitimate climbing, but a lot of it was, like, pretty angled. And if you look at the picture, it's – it 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 was a good time. Coming down was was pretty sketchy though, because it's hard to uh, with all the rocks slipping out from underneath you and stuff as you're coming down. But the highlight of the cave was it was this big giant cave with like Indian pictographs all on the inside, and we we hiked our lunch up there and ate lunch in the cave. It was really cool. Dad fished while we were hiking. I think that was his first fish he caught on his own, like without me being there or without like a guide being there, because we had done that that float on the Lano. So that was his first day. That was his first fish he caught on his own without any help. And I think he was like, his big thing was like, how do I get the fish to handle with like a long rod? But I think he ended up, ended up handling it. I didn't know your dad fly fished. Well, the first time he fly fished was our Lano river trip, like a couple weeks ago. Gotcha. And then this trip, and that was just like practice for this trip because it was a fly fishing trip. Um, overall it was a slow day of fishing. There was an eagle like across the river at camp. Um, oh, we had a eagle fly low over us while we were fishing that day. That was pretty cool. Bald eagle. Did you say America? I did say every time I saw an eagle, I either said America out loud or like mumbled it under my breath. It's like, you have to say America. It's the law. It's, it's the law. My biggest like fish disappointment of the trip happened this day. I had this I had this, there was this fish under like an overhanging wall that was really low. So there was like this much space between where the wall hung over like maybe half a foot and where the river was. And there was a fish under this bank eating dry flies. And I had done like three or four casts where I couldn't quite get it under the cut bank. And then as soon I got, I was finally able to cast a fly under this bank and it ate it right away. It was sweet set the hook, had it on for a bit, and then it came loose. And I think Pat said uh, that was his favorite fish of the trip. 
and uh, it was his favorite fish of the trip, and Dad was confused because it was like, how is that your favorite fish of the trip if we didn't even catch it? But just the eat and getting everything set up and was really cool. Yeah. The last day we fished with uh, Victor, and uh, we had breakfast burritos for breakfast. And uh, the last days where you kind of come out of the canyon, it's more like Montana rolling hills, a lot of ranch land, saw a lot of, like, some cattle, saw a lot of uh, sheep, um, ranches, and we didn't catch many fish. It was really windy, and we had another long float. So I, the guides a lot of the day were just rowing because of how windy it was, and we kind of needed to get off the river. Um, and then to end the day, we had a famous gas station corn dog. The gas station nice. we meet up at afterwards, they have some like jalapeno corn dogs, and that's where we stopped. I also took a nap on the river that day. Yeah, because the week was definitely catching up. Like long days on the river, stay up late at night, drinking a lot of deep creeks. You have any questions, Cliff? You want to ask about the trip? Uh, what was your favorite part of it? Probably the cave hike, yeah. cave climb. I was pretty jealous when you sent us the, the pictures of the pictographs and stuff, mm-hmm. just because I'd like to see them. The pictographs overall was the highlight of the trip. And I would say, first of all, if anybody ever wants to do this trip, a trip like this, they absolutely should. Um, another thing I want to say is we the, the trip is you can only float with a permit. We use an outfitter permit, so... You know, outfitters in Montana, some outfitters have Smith application, per, Smith River permits where they can take clients out. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to do that and you want to DIY it, it's absolutely possible, but you have to, it's like putting in a draw for hunting. I think in February, you put your name in the hat and they draw, they draw whoever the public people can go down the river. So if you want to do it, whether it's with an outfitter on your own, you absolutely should 100%. It was one of my all-time favorite trips I've done uh, by far. And this trip was cool. Like, it's a fly fishing trip, but I was more happy, like, seeing the mergansers, seeing the pictographs, seeing all the deer on the river, looking at bald eagles. Half the time I was looking up at, like, giant cliff walls, like, wasn't even fishing. My camera's out, like, getting all kinds of footage. And I was just as happy not fishing as I was fishing yeah, because of all the scenery. We had a great group of people go on the trip from all different walks of life. Um, and so we got to know our group really well. Um, uh, and so it overall, it was just a cool experience. All the guides were great. The gear boat guys were great. Bo was great. Um, we just had, we had a good time. And so if you guys ever want to do this trip, you guys can ask me any questions. Um, you know, I didn't DIY it, so I don't have the experience of doing that. But it's an easy, pretty easy row. Nothing too technical or crazy. Uh, there were a lot of guys on the river that had, like, drawn permits but never rowed before. And they were kind of bouncing their way down the river a little bit. And uh, they would either pass us or we would pass them. And they would, like, say, oh, sorry, you know, try, still trying to learn how to use the oars. But they made it down just fine. So even if you don't have a lot of experience rowing, you want to do it yourself, you can. I can answer any questions about the type of gear that you want to bring. Your campsites are assigned. I brought a map. 
uh, if you want to check it out. The campsites are assigned, so the state will say you're camping at these sites each night. So you're not going to be like fighting people for campsites. And so, but I would, I would 100% do the trip again. I would like to do a trip like this one day. Well, Cliff, we should put in for a permit. Are you going to be my god? You're, you're going to learn how to row. You're I, I know how way. to row. Remember, I cover all the river. <laughs> That's right. I, from the left to the right, <laughs> all the, the way down. <laughs> yeah, you zigzag the whole way down, so we don't miss miss any holes. Exactly. Sorry, I'm looking at the map. No, right you're now. fine. But day I, one, day two. Oh, does it continue on the back? Yeah, I I marked the campsites we actually stayed at on the map, but you can see a lot more listed. That's the vicinity map. That's supposed to be the whole thing? Yeah, I think it's a zoomed-out picture of the map. Hey, I would like to go to Montana in general. You should. Just to see that it. That was Dad's first time to Montana, too. Yeah. I, I've. And other than, like, losing bags. I like your dad a lot. He's a cool guy. Old Papa Rowlett. If you keep uh, complimenting him, he'll, he might go check your game camera. No, he said he's going to charge me like 100 bucks a month <laughs> to check it. Uh, Sorry, Papa Rowlett. I'm not paying you to check it. Um, man, we, we just had a good trip. I uh, took the Lewis and Clark journals, book, book of journal entries uh, down there. Is that the book you took? That's the book I took. So every night I'd read a couple journal entries. Did you identify? Lewis and, Lewis and Clark discovered the Smith River and named it after the Secretary of State at the time in 1806. Josephine Smith, right? I don't remember the first name. I just remember the last name. I'm just speaking out my ass. Um, yeah, as they were flowing down the Missouri, they discovered the Smith River and named it. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to read some Lewis and Clark journal entries on my way Was down. there anything that you could identify with being on the trip and reading their journal entries? About the Smith. Like well, anything they were saying the that Smith you're like. was like one day journal entry. Like we discover a new river. This is what we named it. This is what happened. Because uh, they were floating down the Missouri and the Smith flows into the Missouri. So like they discovered it. They named it. I think they checked they, it out they, a little bit. They traveled up it a good little bit. I, I think thought. I thought Mike had said that they traveled up it. But what I think more happened, they also had people riding on horseback. So when they came across new rivers, they kind of like. Go upstream a little bit, check it out. But I don't think it was. It was one day's journal entry. I don't think it was anything that was major. The main thing about the the journal entries is like all the crazy stuff that happens every day. And it does take a little bit of motivation to read their journal entries. I'm not going to lie. You have to like want to read their journal entries. But some highlights of things is like every day something crazy would happen. And the fact that like only one person died on the whole trip is pretty remarkable. Um, how many Indian encounters they had and nothing crazy happened, like how they were able to like, you know, keep the peace and do all that is is very remarkable. But, man, they had all kinds of boat problems the whole time. Guy got bitten by a rattlesnake engine at one failures. point on the yeah, engine <laughs> Did he die? No, he did not die. That's not the one who one, died? One guy... Um, like one guy who died, they think, based on the symptoms that they were writing in the journal, and I haven't gotten this far yet into the journals, was um, like an appendix appendix puncture. Um, puncture or rupture? Rupture. Gotcha. So something that would have appendix. happened anyway. 
Yes. Based on, that's what doctors think based on like reading the journals and like the symptoms. Like this is probably what happened, although there's like no, nothing for no sure. No way you can now no, tell no, for sure. No way now. you can know now. Uh, they, uh, the there guy was like, go. they, oh, a guy had like a tumor on his breast. They punctured it and half a liter of fluid came out. Nice. I remember that just because it was like, man, that's intense. Like Lewis actually punctured it and yeah it's funny how they like oh half a liter they measured it as it drained um but just like constantly is like something happens every day like the crew is plagued by boils like half the crew has boils and i'm just like it's a rough life we were um dad called it glamping we were pretty much glamping yeah, I mean, the outfitters provided everything. Yeah, all you the got, food. You don't have to worry about food or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, we had latrines. You know, we had nice dinners. You know, it was a glamping trip. I'd say it's probably really halfway between true, honest-to-God camping and glamping. Yeah. Because it's not like you're in an RV with AC and everything like people do nowadays. I would say if we did it on our own, it would be a true camping trip. But since we use an outfitter, I'd say that removed... Most of the work, it's definitely a glamping trip. Like, we really didn't have to do much except eat and wipe our butt. Um, Did other, you even do that? No. Uh, <laughs> there there wasn't really much that we had to do on our own. So, it, it, but it was a really nice trip. We had a great time. I think everybody else on the trip had a great time. And, again, like, if you want to catch big fish, it's not the Smith. But if you want to go and camp and look at beautiful scenery – have a great time. Do the full experience. It's it's a great it's a great trip. Let me see if there's any questions. Last I had checked, I hadn't seen any. No, we submitted that a little late. Yeah, I submitted the question thing a little late. Didn't give people much time. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. We got back to the hotel, flew out the next day. Was the flights back as eventful as the flights getting there? Did they run smoothly? Yes. Yeah. I think eventful. Everyone got their stuff. Everyone got their stuff. Got Everyone made it back, and so, man, we just we just had a great time. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Um, I think for me, again, I'll just say it one more time. The pictographs were probably like the highlight of the trip. Climbing up to that cave. Did you find being on the river and uh, knowing that there's native cultures and stuff around there and things? Did you see any arrowheads or anything? No, I'm sure they're there. There wasn't a lot of time to do that. Um, apparently, uh, Pat was saying that there was a guy that came on a trip either last year or earlier this year was, like, really into, like, rocks, um, geology. Mm-hmm. And they called him – his name was Quinn. So they called him Quindiana Jones. And he was finding all kinds of, like, cool, like, geodes and stuff like that on the river. But I don't know enough about rocks to, like, be able to identify I didn't identify any of that stuff. Yeah. Oh, we did see another cave that we pulled over. And uh, an animal had been drugged in there and eaten. Nice. Its remains were there. That was pretty cool. That was on the last day. 
And fishing was pretty simple. We fished like a big foam hopper. There were some stoneflies hatching. Like it wasn't a crazy stonefly hatch, but we could all, always seem to find stoneflies. So we'd fish like a big stonefly Hats. grasshopper dry fly pattern. Mm. And then we'd drop a nymph below it. So it was mostly like a dry dropper, hopper dropper, whatever you want to call it. Uh, pretty much the whole way down. And by the end of day one, we had pretty much learned what type of water was worth like slowing the boat down because we had long 10, 12, 15 mile day floats, which take a long time. So it's like, well, in the slow water where fish probably aren't hanging out because it's so low, we're just going to like hit the good stuff. And that ended up paying off. So we could like slow down in the good areas. And a lot of those good areas were like, water would push up against like a big rock wall, like canyon wall, and then create this like seam down the wall. So we were like throwing stuff up against the wall. Like shoot, my goal was like bounce it off the wall, let it hit the river. Cause that was like the sweet spot. And then it would flow down and seem like that's where the most oxygen was. That's where the deeper water was. That's where a lot of the fish were hanging out. So, and we kind of like leapfrog boats that were fishing down the river because it did make a difference if you were the first boat. And so um, as like an effort to work as a team, if you were fishing like a really good hole, you might anchor up and fish it for a little bit, let someone else pass. That way they can get to the next hole. They can fish it really well. Because I do believe like being up front made a difference in fish being caught. So we kind of played this like leapfrog. Were there any uh, major rapids going through it, or was it all pretty... It was all pretty Flat. tame. Tame. It was all pretty tame. Like, if you can back row, the biggest thing I would say would be like water pushing you into a wall, which can be very dangerous. Low flows wasn't really a big deal. If we if the flows were like, like they started off at us around two hundred cfs. If they were like per normal like eight hundred to two thousand cfs, that amount of water pushing to a wall. If you can't back away from that wall, you're going to hit it with the side of your boat potentially flip your boat. But all you need to do is back row. Pull yourself away from the wall. So just some basic, like, back rowing will get you down the river. There's a one area called the canoe flipper because in a canoe, it would almost be impossible not to flip a canoe because a canoe, you can't really maneuver like you can a raft. But a lot of people go down in canoes. So were y'all in rafts or were y'all in drifties? Rafts. All the guides have drifties. And the water was too low to uh, to use a drift. To, to, you would beat the tar out of it. And one guy was going down the river in the drift boat. We kind of would see him every day because we were kind of like, you know, you're assigned a campsite, so like kind of hopscotch with other people floating the river too. Mm-hmm. We didn't see a lot of people because they do a good job of like spreading campsites out. And like day one, the boat launch was like really busy. But like – by day two, you're really spread out from everyone else, so you didn't really run into a lot of other people. There was one guy going down in a drift boat, and every time we passed him or he passed us, we'd hear, because he's just like... Dragging. The bottom of his boat was just like taking a beating on... on. That's 20 bucks, that's 20 bucks, yeah. that's 20 bucks, that's 20 bucks. <laughs> exactly. He was, he was uh, beating up his boat pretty well. So. Well, it sounds like you had a good time. Man, it was great. It was great. I'm slightly jealous. I wish I could do something like that with my dad. Get him to go. Uh, he's not interested in anything like that. No? Not to my knowledge. I tried what? to get him to come out to do a hog hunt, and he was like, he seemed all for it, but then I think some stuff popped up, and 
I'm not blaming him entirely, but yeah. Um, well, we should uh, we should put some permits in. Get Honey Hole Angling Crew plus their dads. Yeah, we could do that. I don't know how many people we can get in a group, but well, if it's eight people, the outfitter licenses were fifteen people. So they could take 15 people down the river for these five days. So by the time you add in, like, clients, guides, and gear boaters, that outfitter license allows 15 people to go down the river, if that makes sense. I thought you said they allowed eight clients. Eight clients were on the trip. But then you add eight clients plus four guides – yeah, but we would all be clients is what I'm saying. Correct, but the outfitter licenses are different than the like personal ones. I don't know. I think you apply for some dates, and there's specific group sizes. Oh, no. I think that if we did that with all of our dads, that it would have to be through an outfitter. You think so? Yeah. Your dad's fly fish twice. My dad's never done it. I don't know about Zach's dad, and I don't know about Ian's dad. But for that many people who I... You're going to have to learn how to row. I can row. <laughs> Zigzagged across the river. <laughs> well, guys. Um, no, you just need to get me on the raft so I can practice rowing more. Yeah, that's true. But someone never invites me anymore. I haven't been out in forever. Someone hates me. That's not me. Um, I didn't say you. I just said somebody. <laughs> Statistically, it's bound to be Probably true. Probably one of our listeners. Oh, man, we never played the wood tip call. No, but I don't think that this is an episode for it. I think this is a good episode. This is a good rambling rabbit trail episode. Yeah. I mean, it's only me and you. You just got back from your trip. I've been focused on other stuff. And uh, so we like can't, what? can't say. Like what, Cliff? Can't say. Okay. Can't say, won't say. Um, but big things have happened. <laughs> so I got a lot of footage, just so you guys know. And I'm, I'm excited to see the sum of the footage. I'm going to get to work on making some videos for the YouTube because I got a lot of footage. Yeah. A lot of cool stuff. You were going to say something about the GoPros? Oh, yeah. Let's end on that. So I'm going to sell my GoPros. Yep. And I'm thinking about selling mine too. I'm disappointed in the performance on the trip. So I'm going to go with a different brand because I was having all sorts of problems with like glitchiness and I ended up uh, recording with my phone most of the time, which worked out great because the phones take great video. So it's not really a thing, but it's like you drop your phone in the river. It's kind of a problem. I am, I'm going to sell my GoPros and, and switch to a, a DJI action camera, which is a different brand. It's half the price of a GoPro and from the reviews I've read and videos I wouldn't I've say that on the podcast if you're trying to sell it, buddy. If I'm, trying to, I'm not trying to sell it to my listeners, although if you were interested in buying a GoPro, I'm I'm trying to sell mine probably as well just because I don't use it. Mm-hmm. I'm ne- I've never been a big picture taker. I've never been a big videographer. I got it to try and do do it because I thought the GoPro would match my lifestyle a little bit better than like a point and shoot or a DSLR or anything. Mm-hmm. I knew I definitely didn't want to do that, so I picked up a GoPro, tried it out. It's just not my thing, mm-hmm. so. 
I suggested to Landa when he told me about selling kids is selling Gomola as a package deal or something like I'm that. I'm sell them individually. I think get more money for them. But I don't need to talk about the details of me reselling GoPros. Um, but, yeah, I'm going sw- to switch from GoPro. I'm kind of curious if anybody else has had the same issues I had um, or if anybody has a DJI action cam before I actually go through the process. Um, but from what I've researched is like the DJI Osmo, I think is what it's called. Like it works. There's no problems. It's a little bit older, but and it's half the price of a GoPro Hero Nine. Is that so, what they're on now? Because I just bought mine like last year, and I what, think it's a. Did you get a seven? I think it's a seven. Yeah, they're on the nines now, and tens are supposed to come out this year. What do they do? Put them out like every three months? Yeah, <laughs> every year. No, because I bought it last year, and mine was the new one. Then you might have an eight. Oh. I don't know. Anyway, all right, guys, that's all. I am excited that this podcast is out there just so I can go back and listen to, if I'm ever like, oh, the Smith River, come back and listen to this episode and enjoy the memories of the trip. Yeah. So, and then there'll be YouTube videos too. So, all right, guys, we will see y'all, hear y'all. Down the river. Down the river. Yes, or on the trail, or something. We'll see you when we see you. In the deer blind. Yeah, we'll come up with something else catchy. All right, guys. America. Is that what you were trying to get to say? Okay. That's what I was trying to get you to say. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Instead of your bye.